going to read the exciting bit of Romans, the last few chapters, where Paul tells us his travel plans. And hopefully a few of you are going, why on earth are Paul's travel plans interesting 2,000 years after he traveled? Well, hopefully we'll see some interesting things there. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I'll just stick it here, hide it under here. Let's just pray for the offering. Lord, thank you that you do reign. Lord, we pray that you would use these gifts um, for your purposes, that we might bless your people, that we might honor your name, that your kingdom might come. Lord, our, our offering is not going to make your kingdom come. Our offering is not going to force blessing on people. But our offering is our way of saying we want your kingdom. We want your rule and we want your reign. We want your people to live now with, with a sense of the community and the love and the support that one day we will share when you return. And so we give of our plenty that we might bless your people, your church, here and across the world. Lord, as we, as we read this passage of Scripture now, I pray that you would open our eyes by your Spirit to see truth, some truth of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and through me, not because we are super Christians, but because you are a super God. And we thank you for that. Amen. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I am fully convinced, dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well that you are able to teach others about them. This is the whole letter. So he's written the whole letter and he says, I'm convinced you know all this stuff. You can even teach others. Even so, I have been bold enough to emphasize some of these points, knowing that you all that all you need is this reminder from me. For I am by God's grace a special messenger from Jesus Christ to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news and offer you up as a fragrant sacrifice to God so that you might be pure and pleasing to Him by the Holy Spirit. So it's right for me to be enthusiastic about all, of, uh, about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. I dare not boast of anything else. I have brought the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I lived before them. I have won them over by the miracles done through me as signs from God, all by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ all the way from Jerusalem, clear over into Illyric Illyricum, Albania. <laughs> my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken in the Scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. 
But now I have finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to visit you. I am planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can send me on my way again. But before I come, I must go down to Jerusalem to take a gift to the Christians there. Just If you know your geography, Paul's in Corinth at the moment. He's saying, I'm going to go to Spain via Rome, but first I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Hmm. Before I come, I must go down to Jerusalem to take a gift to the Christians there. For you see, the believers in Greece have eagerly taken up an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem who are going through such hard times, the the poor Christians there. They were very glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the wonderful spiritual blessings of the good news from the Jewish Christians, they feel the least they can do is return, in return is to help them financially. As soon as I've delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs or, or seen the fruit of this, uh, this work, I will come to see you again on my way to Spain. Not again, just for the first time. And I'm sure that when I come, Christ will give me a great blessing for you. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the Christians there will be willing to accept the donation I am bringing them. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a happy heart and we will be an encouragement to each other. And now may God who gives us his peace be with you all. Amen. Now this is not the easiest of passages to write a sermon on. I'll be quite frank with you because on first reading, you read this passage and you go, okay, so he's going to Spain. That's nice. And then he's going, oh, he's going to Jerusalem first, and then he's going to Rome, and then he's going to Spain, and he's taking up a collection on the way. This is, this is like the Graham waving his thing, saying, don't forget, we've got to do this as part of the service. We've got to take up the collection. He didn't say anything, but <laughs> the, the implication is, isn't this just sort of something we have to do? I'm just telling you my plans. I'm giving you my itinerary so that you can know where to meet me at the, well, they didn't have airports, but at the road into Rome (laughs) so that you know when I'm coming, you know what my plans are, you can get ready so that you can send me on my way. But I want to suggest to you that, that this is more than just fluff at the end of the letter. And we're going to do next week Romans chapter 16, which is say hi to them and hi to them and hi to them and hi to them. That's also not fluff. In fact, all of this we're told, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, encouraging, rebuking, all of these things. And so we've got to come and we come to Paul's travel plans. Now, on the 18th of November at... Uh, Quarter to 12, Taryn and I will get in the aeroplane. We'll then fly across. We'll arrive at 5.10 the next morning in Joburg where we'll pick up a car. Now, we're planning to go to Cape Town, but first we're going to drive through there. Then we're going to drive back to Job. Are you enlightened? Are are you feeling edified and lifted up and and encouraged? You didn't know, but has it changed your life? 
<laughs> yes, it's changed my life. You will not be here. I want to suggest that there are some things we can pick up from this. Um, there's, there's sort of three movements or three directions that Paul looks uh, in this short passage that we got. Uh, he looks back. He looks to his present circumstances. Uh, sorry, he looks back. He looks forward to what his plans are. And he looks up to God. But, but I want to suggest rather than looking just in terms of time and distance and travel, let's rather think in terms of the perspective, the gospel, and the struggle. So I think the first thing we learn is that we need to keep our perspective right. Paul's writing here to the church in Rome. Remember, it's a church that is mostly Gentile. There were some Jewish people there. Uh, the, the Jews had been forced to leave. Then they had come back. There was all sorts of... Uh, Romans didn't like the Jewish people much. There was all sorts of things against the Jewish people, some anti-Semitism happening there. We've seen already in Romans, as we looked across this year, how, how in, uh, in the church Paul was writing, no, you've got no right to be racist against the Jews because from them comes Christ. And actually, it's not the new church. We have been grafted in. And yes, some Jews have been grafted off, but, but we are grafted into the people of God and, and all nations will be grafted in if they have faith in Christ. And so Paul's writing to this, this mon, mainly Gentile but some Jewish church and, and in fact most of the letter, a large portion of the letter has been dealing with this issue of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. It's not a, it's not a novice community. These people aren't brand new Christians. They, they know some stuff. They know the truth about who God is. It's also not a deeply sinful church. There are some letters that Paul writes, such as Corinthians, which is obviously to a church that is struggling, on fire for God, but, but there's some big issues in the church. There's not some big issues in the Roman church. There's some big potential issues, but Paul's writing in advance of them. This is a church that is knowledgeable, doctrinally sound, morally excellent, this is a church that Paul said at the beginning of the letter that he, he hoped to be mutually edified and encouraged by visiting. Them encouraging him, him encouraging them, them teaching him, him teaching them. And despite this, though, he's quite bold as he's written. There's, there's been some very bold points in there. Romans 7, 8, very bold. Romans 9, 10, 11, all about Israel and Gentiles and how we are grafted into the people of God. That's bold stuff. Writing to a church where anti-Semitism is the norm, Paul says, no, that's a bold thing to do. He's reminding them of the truth. He's, he's explored the implications of the gospel, which is a really good thing. I'm, I'm very thankful to that because if you ask my wife, I am a very forgetful person. And I bet all of us are, to some degree. That wonderful old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Paul says, I'm writing to remind you. You know this stuff, I'm going to tell you again. Tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you again. But what gives Paul the right to remind the Romans? It's not like he set up this church. We don't know exactly who set up the church. Maybe it was 
Peter. There's absolutely no evidence to say it was Peter. There's some people who think it was just random Christians arriving in the capital city of the empire saying, hey, Jesus is, is the Son of God. He came down. He was born uh, uh, from a virgin. He, he, he lived. He died a criminal's death on the cross and God raised him to life again and he's alive now and he's living within us and he's given us his spirit and it's such good news and he loves you. Just random Christians starting a fire in the capital city. Isn't that wonderful? Paul, however, has had nothing to do with this church. He's never even visited it. His job has been going around the region of, of Greece and Macedonia and Achaia, which are both Greece. So what gives him the right to write and say, I just need to remind you of this? Well, quite frankly, says Paul, what gives him the right is God. I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. Paul's special tasking was to take the good news of Jesus to the non-Jewish nations. And he saw this work as the work of a priest. Verse 16, he says, I am a special messenger for Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. I am a special messenger. Uh, not the best translation there. The word that he uses is the word for a priest. I am serving God as a priest, but, but I'm not bringing dead animals to be sacrificed at the temple. I am bringing living people to God. And says Paul, I love my job. The new NIV says, I glory in it which is another way to say, I boast about it. God gave Paul this job, this tasking, and yet Paul boasts in it. When things go well, isn't it so easy for us to think that we've got it all sorted, that, uh, you know, we've done well, and we sort of stand a little bit taller, suck in our stomachs, shoulders back, I have been a special messenger, a priest even, to the Gentile nations. <laughs> Boasting's ugly, isn't it? Who here enjoys watching someone boast? It does depend. It depends on whether it's me. Boasting, I, I think, maybe a working definition we can say is making too much of yourself. But you notice, Paul boasts, and although he boasts in his service to God, his boast is first in Christ. Paul had a key task to play. He had a, he had a key role as apostle to the Gentile nations, but his was very much the supporting actor role. It was, says verse 15, God who chose him. It was God who prepared him. It was God who gave him the ministry. Paul's job is to bring these people to God as, as sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable 
But verse 16 says they're only holy and acceptable because they are made holy by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul does, verse 18, is simply what Christ has done through him and in him. So you see what, what Paul has done in just verses 15 through to 18. He said, okay, it's, I'm boasting, but it's the Father and the Spirit and the Son who've done all the work. Yeah, I've done work, but, but really, my work has been nothing without what they've done. In fact, he says that I spoke and I acted and, and I did these amazing signs and miracles. But it's not my power that did it. It's the, the power of the Spirit that ultimately led people, led the Gentiles to know and trust God. Paul loves his job and he boasts about his job because he knows that the hard work is not his but God's. Which is saying something because Paul worked hard and he endured some horrible stuff but he was willing to do it for the sake of of seeing people know our Lord and Savior. Now, as I said, on one level, we read these first few verses, verses 14 through to 19 or so, and we think this is just a summary of why Paul wrote to the Romans. But, but I think they also teach us, as I said, something of, of keeping our perspectives right. You know, we might be like the Roman church, full of knowledge, able to teach, morally above reproach, or we might not be. We might work hard for God, and we might be tempted to glory in our own hard work when things go well. Or we might be tempted to despair at our failure when they don't. But ultimately, I think what we can glean from Paul over here is how important it is to realize that we are but the agents for God. Any success is not due to us, but due to Him. Ours is a spiritual battle. We are merely the instruments. If you take your suit in to be dry cleaned, and you take it into the news agents, and they say, agents for blah, 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 dry cleaners, you're not going to say, oh, what a good job you did. This is so brilliant to the newsagent. You're going to say, thanks for sending it off. They did a great job, didn't they? We're like the newsagents. We are just the agents. And besides, we, we can glory in our successes. It's very easy to assume that when people praise you for things going well, that it's your your success, and forget that it's God in the back, and Paul reminds us of that, but, but what about our failures? Who knows, I wonder if our, our failures are really God's failures. Paul wrote this to Rome, and, and the reason he wrote, one of them was that he was going to come he was going to come to Rome, set up a little base of, of operations, ascending church maybe, and from there go to Spain. Chances are he never made it. Paul did go to Jerusalem where he was arrested and imprisoned for years. He got to Rome, but he got there in chains, a prisoner. Um, there's one reference to maybe him going, but 
I, I think the weight of evidence is he never made it to, to Spain. He failed. But part of his planning in preparation for going to Spain was to say to himself, I need to have a new base of operations. My, my home church, Antioch, is, is good for here. It's been good for the work I've done from Jerusalem to Illyricum, but it's going to be way too far away from Spain. So, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to Rome, and I'm going to set up, and they can send me on my way, and they can support me from there, and they can push me forwards. And so I'm going to write this letter in preparation, and I'm just going to sort of lay things out for them and remind them of a few things and, you know, just sort of open up the waters and, and open up the doorways there. And, and he fails, to go to Spain, but what a failure it is because we end up blessed for 2,000 years with his letter in preparation for his trip. Sometimes our failures are used by God. Our preparations for our, our ministry that we think is going to be brilliant can be used in a way that we haven't even thought of. Isn't that incredible? Romans is written because of a failed plan to do mission. I find that incredible. Well, let's move on though. Second half of verse 19 through to verse 29. Paul has, has preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus from Jerusalem to Albania. But now he feels like he's in a position to move on. He, he's, he's done all of the work. He's spread the gospel throughout the whole region. That doesn't mean that everyone was Christians. No, for Paul, his job was always to be a pioneer. His was to set up the church, to, to get the engine started, and then to hand it over to a, a church that's set up in that place to spread the gospel, to share it with their friends and their neighbors. And yes, Paul wasn't a fly-by-night preacher. He, he had a heart for seeing people grow in the faith. He stayed in contact with his churches. He prayed for them. He went back to visit them. He stayed years in some cities to, to grow the church, to encourage the people. But, but he made it a, a, a definite thing that when he set up a church, he set up a structure in that church where they could teach each other and encourage each other and grow each other in the faith. <clears throat> and Paul's quite clear as he writes that, that God gifts the church with all that it needs to grow itself in the knowledge of Christ. But Paul's job is not to sit and pastor a church indefinitely. Paul's job given to him by Christ on the road to Damascus was to spread the gospel to places that it had never been heard. I think that's, that's Paul's interpretation of what Jesus said. He says, I've always wanted to take it to places that have never been heard. I don't want to step on other people's toes. If, if Colin's going there to spread the gospel, I'm going to pray for Colin and I'm going to go in the opposite direction because their people are going to hear from Colin. Here people are not hearing at all, so I'm going to go there. And once I'm here, these people can tell the people in the cities around, so I'm going to go there afterwards. And now he comes, he's done all of the major areas. What's he going to do? Well, says Paul, there's this little place called Spain. It's been part of Roman Empire for a couple of hundred years, uh, sort of just starting to get uh, more and more open at this stage. I'll go there. This is the first we ever hear of Paul wanting to go to Spain, by the way. It's not mentioned in Acts. It's not mentioned anywhere in Romans up to this point where he just says, oh, by the way, I'm going to Spain. I want to have 
some, what's that rice dish? Paella. I want some paella, and we'll have paella and gospel nights. Paul was longing to do in Spain what he had done everywhere else. And Paul wanted the Romans to know that although he wanted to visit Rome, his heart was still driving him on to places where Jesus' name had never been known. That's why he didn't go to Rome in the first place, verse 22, because he was busy telling people about Jesus. That's why he doesn't plan to stay overly long in Rome because Spain is such fertile soil for the gospel. In fact, all he's doing really is saying, I want, I want a logistical base. I want you guys to support me in the spreading of the gospel. But for one who is so driven to share the good news of Jesus in places where it's never been heard, there is an even deeper desire, I I think, in Paul. And that is to see the church of Jesus Christ united. Particularly for him in those days, the church united in terms of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. I've already said most of the book of Romans, well not most, but a, a very large portion of it has to deal with this. Just flick through the chapters when you get home. It's not just chapters 9 onwards, chapters 3, chapter 4, I think. Chapter 4, definitely chapter 3. But there's quite a few chapters where Paul is dealing with this issue of Who are we as the people of God? Who are we as Jewish people of God, as Gentile people of God, as the people of God? What is our relationship to the law? And this desire to see the church of Jesus Christ united is what made Paul decide, I'm going to go 180 degrees in the wrong direction from where I want to go. I'm going to finish a project, says Paul. The churches in Greece, Macedonia, Achaia, they've been collecting up money. You hear about this a lot. Paul writes about this collection a lot. They've been collecting up money because in Jerusalem the Christians are poor. They're struggling. Remember, Acts Church in Jerusalem started with everyone selling everything they had and pooling it together and and common good. It turns out now that that there's a, a famine, I think, probably, that's happened, and they're in dire straits. And the the churches that Paul has launched in Macedonia and Achaia are, are wanting to send a gift as a as a tangible way of saying that we are your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just charity money. It's, it's money that's meant to foster the sense of fellowship between the two groups. It's meant to foster unity in the church of Christ. And says Paul, after all, the, the Gentiles have, have well, they've, they've benefited so much spiritually from the Jewish Christians. For it was through the Jews that salvation has come. And and they can never repay this, but in part they could repay this debt by sharing their material blessings. And in fact, I think the reason Paul finds this collection so important is because for him, this is all about justification by faith. We are saved by trusting Jesus. 
All who are in Christ are a new creation. And the offering the offering is all about all who trust in the name of Jesus are saved. Now, are you looking at me slightly confused? Anyone? No? Because it takes a little bit to wrap your head around this. This gift of money is meant to remind the Gentile Christians that their roots are in Israel. And it's meant to remind the Jewish Christians that their Messiah is the same one Lord and all of all the nations. This is a practical way of saying we are one in Christ. Isn't that fantastic? And Paul's uh, taking this money himself. He's going along with the people because he wants to make clear, I believe, and ensure that the Jewish Christians understand that this is not just charity money, but it is a, a hand of fellowship, a hand of unity, a hand that says we are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and when one hurts, all hurt, and when one celebrates, all celebrates. I mean, that was a unique situation, a unique time, but but it does challenge us to ask ourselves what are the ways that we seek to live out in practice the unity of the Spirit. Uh, Robin has started this thing where we write letters. Does anyone here write letters to the people in detention? What a great way to, to share with those who are struggling and who share the same Lord. What about sending material goods to Christians going through tough times or when natural disasters hit or just you know that your neighbor next door is struggling. Isn't this a great way to say, you know what, we are brothers and sisters in Christ and here's a, here's a, a thought. What if a Roman Catholic person next door to you is struggling? What if a hippie charismatic next door to you is struggling? What if a normal charismatic next door to you is struggling? Someone that you perhaps don't agree with 100% theologically, but how can we show in real tangible ways? You know what? We are brothers and sisters. Part of the offering that we collect on Sundays, of course, goes to mission agencies and, and people in Bulgaria and MAF flying all over the place. And we do this because we want to say to them, we are your brothers and sisters. Let's quickly finish with this last thing that Paul says. He says, please join me in my struggle. Not the struggle of having to carry around large sums of money on roads that are frequented by bandits. No, struggle for the gospel. I want you to pray two things, says Paul. Pray that, that I will be rescued from those who disobey in Jerusalem, from those 
who refuse to accept that Jesus is Lord. Those who see me as a traitor, as a blasphemer, as one who leads people away from the law. He was arrested because they accused him of bringing a non-Jewish person into the temple. Pray also that the Christians will accept that this offering I'm bringing is, is a good thing. Pray that they won't turn their noses up at it and think that it's tainted money because it's not Jewish money. And when that happens, says Paul, then the burden will be lifted from me and I will come to you with great joy and we will be spiritually refreshed by each other. Now Paul felt, I'm sure, that this collection was the right thing to do. It was a a, a task from God. It was a a godly thing to do. Uh, But he still asks people to pray for it. You know, it's, it's possible for us to, to assume that uh, our ministry is so vital and important and God-ordained that, you know, it's just going to succeed. We'll just set up a church and, yeah, it's a church, so, woohoo, success. No, says Paul, pray for me. Pray for me because the key to success isn't just hard work or careful planning, or effective execution. The key to success is God. Which takes us right back to what Paul said at the beginning about his work in the past. The key to success was not himself, it was God. Did the prayers that Paul asked for work? Who says Paul's request for prayer? Did they pray, first of all? How often do we say we'll pray and then we forget? Did the prayers work? They always work. Well, let's have a look. What did he say? Pray that I will be protected from the non-Jewish people. Well, let's let's first go. Let's go to the easy one. Was the money accepted? It seems like it. Yay, good. That's wonderful. However, when the money was accepted, they said to Paul, Paul, just prove to everyone in the church, the Jewish Christians, that that you're not anti the law of Moses. So there was still that antagonism from some in the church. Exactly. God hears every prayer. But they don't necessarily work in a sense of automation. Thank you, Val. That's exactly my point. That's exactly it. Because Paul was, he went to Jerusalem. He was kept safe. He was not murdered. There were plots to murder him. He was not murdered. He was, however, arrested. He was, however, put in jail. He was, however, staying there in jail for years on end surviving multiple attempts to have him killed, surviving an attempt to have him lynched, surviving three times, surviving an attempt to have him flogged. Did Paul reach Rome? I'll pray that I will get there with all of this stuff. Yes, he reached Rome, but, but neither how nor when he expected. And yet he says, join me in the struggle. That by God's will, these things would be. It says, Paul, pray for me. Pray for me. I think this is from God. And I know from all my past experience that only God's power can work. Now, God might have a different plan in store. But pray for me. 
So, in this little fluffy bit at the end of the, the book of Romans, Paul says, keep our perspective right. Pray for each other. And let's actually live the gospel out in tangible ways. Amen. And I'll hand over to Nicholas now to close in, in a song.